Welcome to the Greg Bennett Show presented by Any Question. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And I've just finished an absolutely fantastic episode with one of the most incredible icons in the world of triathlon, Mr. Bob Babbitt. We share his journey into the sport in the late 70s and how the sport developed and grew throughout the 80s and early 90s and how he, with his media business and and sharing the news of endurance sport, was able to help spread the word of Ironman and triathlon around the world. And really, Bob is just a fantastic storyteller. We then transition into his work that he does with the Challenge Athlete Foundation. He's the founder of that organization, which has raised $147 million to date. And please go support them in any way you can, whether that's volunteering or, or giving money and the way they look after adaptive athletes around the world. Uh, he shares some incredible stories in this show about some of the athletes that they've worked with. Just absolutely remarkable human being. Um, the way he gives to others and, and has done so much for the the sport of triathlon and CAF, the Challenged Athlete Foundation. Just a remarkable person. I think you're going to truly enjoy this episode. I really, really did. It was a very, very special episode and a big thank you to Bob for coming on. A little bit of housekeeping. I just want to thank you for listening to the show and sharing it and, and all your feedback. I truly appreciate it. You can also find Bob on any question. That's anyquestion.com forward slash Bob Babbitt. You can go on there and you can ask him any follow-up questions and, and listen to his answers there. He's just coming on as an expert right now, which is fantastic. He's also helping us build the adaptive channel on any question. But until next time, everybody, enjoy this episode. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. All right, today I'm joined by a true triathlon legend. For over 40 years, he has influenced the world of triathlon for the better. He started racing triathlons way back in the late 1970s. He did his first Ironman triathlon in 1980 on the island of Oahu and ended up completing five more when the event moved to the Big Island. He's been inducted into both the Ironman Hall of Fame and the USA Triathlon Hall of Fame. And he's also co-founded Competitor Magazine and the Challenged Athlete Foundation. Plus, he created competitor radio and Babbittville radio and he's traveled the world interviewing the greats of the sport with his show breakfast with bob his passion for the sport and willingness to do to always put others first and just help them achieve greatness is just truly inspiring and it's just an honor and privilege to have him join me today on the show so welcome and thank you for joining me on the greg bennett show Bob Babbitt, how are you, mate? Hey, Greg, such a pleasure, man. Uh, appreciate everything you do to to put a spotlight on the most amazing athletes on the planet. I think for for years, people know basketball, baseball, football, but they don't know who our athletes are. And I think there's a misperception that our athletes grew up like LeBron James or like Mike Trout, that they're identified to five, six, seven years old, or like a Greg Bennett, yeah. identified when they're a kid and going, okay, you're going to be an Olympian. You're going to be a professional triathlete. We're going to fund everything to help you get there. It's not true. They well, were you were an age grouper. You were a kid doing the sport before you found out that oh, I can go pretty fast and maybe I can do do well at this. And then you find out I have Olympic potential. Maybe I can make a living here. But that stuff all comes later, early yeah, on. Yeah. You're just like every age grouper who's here in Milwaukee. They have the same dreams that you had back then. It's like I want to go faster today than I was yesterday. And so well said. I've got to tell everybody we're actually in person. We're actually getting to sit in person in a hotel nice. room here in Milwaukee after a fabulous. Last night, last night at the the Hall of Fame dinner, yes, wasn't that special? It I mean, you've really been to all special. of them, I think. That was a really good, it great was a one. great one. Watching your your beautiful wife Laura get inducted 
in. It was special. It was very special. You getting mm-hmm. to introduce her, uh, and you had Gwen Gwen Jorgensen and Robert Plant. And I was just telling you beforehand, Robert yeah. Plant's in my <laughs> seventy to death age group. Seventy to death. <laughs> <laughs> when you've been around, it. I think my first age group was twenty five to twenty nine. So now I'm in the seventy to seventy four. I think I've been in like ten age groups or something. Anyways, so we're at the Legacy Triathlon in Long Beach a few weeks ago, and you know you're old when you're next to Robert Plant, who I think is you know seventy six, seventy seven. He might be eighty. I'm not sure. Yeah. But he's jumping down, up and down before the start of a yeah. race. And I'm like, what are you doing, Robert? And he goes, I'm trying to get my pacemaker going. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so you know you're in the right way yeah, yeah, yeah. when the guy's trying to get his pace way, oh my going. God. It, it was a really special night to see Gwen Jorgensen, the 2016 yes. Olympic champion, um, then then Robert Plant, who's just, you know, been an icon of the sport, yep. um, you know, and, and racing. And it's just unbelievable. My wife, Laura Bennett, and... Um, Leslie Senses McDowell. That's right. Thank you very much. Well, and what's and great, just, she's won, people talk about Paula winning eight times in Kona. She's won Rage Division 11 times in insane. Kona. And now she's like, oh, I'm, I'm doing equestrian now. Yeah. There's a lot of people think you get to be 60 or 65 and in life you retire. Yeah. In our sport, you go, oh, maybe I'll try <laughs> gravel racing now. I'm going to try something different. I don't run as well, so I'll do something different. And that's what came across last night. It was like, uh, from all the acceptance speeches, it was almost like... We just love to play and we love to play with great people and we're yep. inspired to be around others. And, yes. and for me, you know, on this show, I, I, I often talk about the reason why we do the sport mm-hmm. is the people. Totally. Right? It's I mean, people. swimming, biking and running, if you did that on your own forever, it's, it's nice and it's yes. a nice life. But when you're around the people and you're outside and, and you're around people that are all trying to just get that little bit more out of life, it's right. just so special. Well, I um, always talk about our sport as it's an equal opportunity abuser. It doesn't really care <laughs> if you're Greg Bennett, one of the top guys in the world, or if you're slow old Bob Babbitt, who's the new, his new motto is, 10-minute miles, a new eight-minute mile. You know, you, you sort of adapt as you go. It's, it's the ultimate sport because if you're the orthopedic reality, if you're a runner, when you're 50 or 55, yeah. you're not running faster than no. you, you did when you're 45. As a triathlete, I'm 71. I know I haven't had my best race yet. I know I can get a faster wetsuit. I can buy faster wheels, <laughs> right? I can, I can get graphite shoes. I can be faster at 80 than I was at 70. Where as a runner, you don't have that possibility. Mm. But this sport, you because of cross-training, nutrition, wheels, all that stuff, you can actually get better as you get older, which is why it's the ultimate lifetime fitness sport and why you have Robert plant trying to get his heart rate going last night with his pacemaker and your your beautiful wife and then Gwen is there it's it, it is a sport that, that touches so many different all people all the age groupers we, yeah. we had a one young girl came up on stage and she'd just done her first couple first of triathlons triathlon. and I think yeah. she was 16 yeah. years of age and yep. she got up and she spoke beautifully and yep. just was you could almost see the joy of her and, and, and going back to what we were saying, yeah. just be around that community of people and her coach, I can't remember his name, but he says, look, I don't just put my athletes in the junior and the kids races. I put them in the open races yep. so they can get a feel for the energy mm-hmm. of the sport and all the various age groups from Robert Plant all the way down. It's yes. such a community. One of the things that, that I've been a big proponent of is, is our sport has aged, right? Yeah. There's, there's a lot yeah. of folks yeah. who are, you know, if you look at your biggest age groups, usually it's you know, like 45 and up are your biggest age groups. And there's a problem with that because we need new blood. Yeah. And 
when you do, we've worked really hard in Southern California, we would do these pool triathlons because I think yeah. the thing that scares people the most is a swim. Yeah. You know, if you and I go for a run and we get tired, we stop. Yeah. If we go for a bike ride and we get tired, we stop. We go for a swim, we get tired, we die. That's a problem. <laughs> That's a deterrent. That is a deterrent, That's a right? deterrent. And is. you're in the water and you're swimming in a race and you've got glare, you've got current, you've got kelp. How cold is the water? Someone playing bongos yeah, on your head. Yeah. All the crap that can happen is in the swim. Yeah. So when you do races, and we have a series of them with a, with a 5K run, mm-hmm. anybody can do it. You can walk it. 10-mile bike, and you could take a bike out of the garage that hasn't seen a light of day since Reagan was president, and you can ride that. And then 150-yard swim in a pool. You jump at one end of the pool. Yeah. You serpentine. You get to the other end of the pool. You're a triathlete. Yeah. McKeeley Jones, who obviously you know really well. One of the greatest of all time. One of the greatest of all time. But what what makes her great is she loves racing. So she and I, she was my partner. We'd go to the Tinsel Triathlon in Hammond, California, or the Pasadena Triathlon around the Rose Bowl. And so we're out at the Tinsel Triathlon. This is when I realized how important these little races are. We're out there one year, and it's December, and it's a three-mile run, 10-mile bike, 150-yard swim in a pool in beautiful Hammond, California. And there's a guy there with his board shorts on, his belly hanging out, his bike with with high bars and a koozie on it, right? (laughs) And he's going to do his first ever triathlon. And this nice young girl, McKeeley, who has no idea is an Olympic champion, Olympic silver medalist, Ironman world champion, is setting up his transition for him. Oh, that nice young girl helped me out. So the race finishes. This guy has finished the race. And the announcer is like, hey, everybody, you did a great job today. Congratulations on finishing. There's going to be a television show today on the Ironman Triathlon World Championship that aired that was that happened in October. This is December. The show's going to air this morning or this afternoon. You should go home and watch it. And this guy with his belly hanging out yeah. and the cool bike with the high bars goes. His wife says, "Honey, what's the Ironman?" And he goes, "Same thing. I just did a little longer." Right <laughs> at that point, the light bulb went on for me. He, he if yeah. you walked up, if Greg Bennett walked up, if Mark Allen walked up, he'd be like. We are simpatico. We are brothers. We are both triathletes. It doesn't matter how long it is. You want to be in this sport because it's sexy and cool and fun. And this guy now was the same as McKeeley. I do the same. He had no idea. Olympics, no. But he now is a triathlete. And we need more of that. We need to get more people into the sport. When we do, we have a race in San Diego that actually McKeeley's involved with this called the Triton Man for University of California, San Diego. And they do a, a draft legal race, but then they do an age group race. And it's the only race I do where 90% of the people are 29 and under. Wow. Right? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I'll have three people pass me, and their ages don't add up to mine. I'm looking <laughs> at their calves, and they're like uh, 18, 24, 23. I'm like, ah, that's 56. <laughs> so I still got 15 years on them. Hey, I got into it. I'm really curious because I've been yeah. wanting to jump in here and intersect. How many races do you think you've done? I mean, oh, have you counted God. them? Have I you have ever not. Done? Yeah, You've at never... one point, I never really have. Because like, yeah, I know that Sandy International has held it 40 times and I've done 38 of them. So I, there's a lot of races like that. So I, <laughs> I, I bet you it's... It's, I don't know, seven, eight hundred or something like that. I don't train a lot, but no, I love racing. But you've always loved racing. I and love you've racing. always loved to be around. And when you're not racing, you're still at the big race. Like you're not racing this weekend, are you? I am racing. Oh, you are, you're racing. Oh, yeah. Sunday. Oh, yeah. Of course you Sprint are. Race. So we're, we're, we're yeah. at the age group national championships in Milwaukee, Wisconsin yes. right now. And I got my uh, peeps in the 70 to death category. So we're all out here. Oh, mate. I, you're such an inspiration. What I want to do is just yeah. shift gear a little bit. Sure. That's one of my favorite parts to do in this show, is, and that is to rewind the clock. Okay. And I know that we're going to be 
rewinding a while with you, but okay. <laughs> the clock goes back a long way. Yeah, hopefully, but, it still runs. But I need to, I need to rewind the clock uh, and, and pick your brains both on your journey personally. Okay. Plus, I don't believe there's anybody better in the world for me to sit with and do the journey of triathlon. Oh my god! Right? Okay, yeah. And, and doesn't mean we have to do everything, yeah, but yeah. but it's kind of it'd be crazy for me to not just dive in. But first, let's let's do you. Okay. Let, let, let's. How did you find triathlon? And tell me about that sort of finding the passion for the sure. sport. Sure. I was li- I living in Chicago uh, back in 77, 78. I moved to San Diego, and the sport had started in San Diego in 1974 mm-hmm. at a place called Fiesta Island. And I started. I joined uh, the San Diego Track Club with a guy named Ned Overend, who went on yes. to be world mountain bike yes, champion. Yes, I remember Ned Ned and I met each other rock climbing down in Baja. And the two of us actually started a little rock climbing business called Adventure Incorporated and... Uh, I was scared of heights, <laughs> but Ned was good at that stuff. Anyways, so Ned and I, we read an uh, article in 1979 about this thing called the Iron Man mm-hmm. in Sports Illustrated, which yeah. was the Bible of all sports. Yeah. And we were living down by the beach in San Diego, and we're like, wow, you know, how do you do this thing? And it's not like you can go online and find out how do you no, – no, no. But the guy who won the race was a guy named Tom Warren who owned a bar in San Diego called Tug's Tavern. And Tommy had put on one of the first ever endurance events called the Tug Swim Run Swim. Yeah. It's a half-mile swim, five-mile run, and then you swam around the pier again. Mm. So all of us skinny runner guys knew that if we didn't get a pretty good gap on the swimmers, by the time we were halfway back to the Crystal Pier, they're going to swim over our ass. They're just yeah. going to go right over, which they did. But the cool part about that event, you came across the finish line. They handed you a popsicle stick, right, with your number on yeah, it, an yeah. early timing system. Yeah. But the race didn't finish there. You ran three blocks to Tugs, and the first 75 people got breakfast, right? <laughs> so you, the idea was to get in, get your plate with the runny eggs on it, and your Tugs glass when the 76th person showed up and got nothing, oh, right? Wow. Uh, that, was like the, that was the thing. So what, what happened is a guy named Mike Plant, who uh, was doing photo business back then, he would take the, those little photos you would get in the mail, he took a photo of Ned and I. And Ned and I tried to get this photo from the guy. That was all we wanted to do. And he lived in La Jolla and I tracked him down. And, you know, he was telling me he had started a newspaper called San Diego Track Club News. And he was covering these different events. Anyways, then we wanted to track Tommy down to find out about the Iron Man. How do you do this? How do you get into it? So we called Tommy and he's like, oh, Babbitt, yeah, come on down to my office. It's just, I'm on the west side of the street, just south of Crystal Pier in Pacific Beach. So Ned and I go there. There's no buildings there. There's a motorhome. And there's a motorhome with a bike on the back, with paddle boards on top, with running shoes tied around the side view mirror. And I put my head in and I hear, there's a Babbitt, welcome to my office. <laughs> he had a roll of dimes and he had a phone behind him, like a, a pay phone. Yeah. And he'd go to a pay phone and call and order tortilla chips and things like that for his bar. Then he'd run five miles every day. There was like a white telephone pole at a place called the Jetty. It's like two and a half miles and he'd turn around and come back. To this day, there's a black line around that pole from his greasy hand taking the turn every day for 50 years. Then he'd paddle out in the ocean. Then he'd ride up the ocean side. And that's just what he did. So we're like, Mr. Warren, sir, how do we get into this Iron Man? He says, well, let's go to the bar. It's 930 in the morning. So we go to this bar right behind him called T.D. Hayes. And again, this guy's going to be our mentor, the guy who's going to teach us how to do this stuff. (laughs) So as he's talking... 
he's like making, he's got a magic marker and he's making a mark on his arm. We're like, so how do you register? And he's, he's telling us different stuff. And, and we're like, you know, Mr. Warren, sir, since you know, sir, our mentor, what's the deal with the magic marker? And he goes, I have a little bit of a drinking problem. So I make a mark on my arm. And when I get to my sleeve, I go home every time I have a beer. You <laughs> I'm like, okay. Then he takes us to his house. But he was a hell of an athlete. Too. Oh, I mean, he yeah. won the freaking Iron Man. Yeah, yeah. And th- then we go to his house and his, it's like a, like 4,000 square feet with one bedroom and a sauna with a bike mounted in the sauna. Uh, like now that's Lionel Sanders workout. Yeah, yeah. Then you get, you get put away. Yeah, yeah. So he's got his, but he would do like three, four hours in the sauna on his bike. Getting ready. So then he says, well, you first off guys, you got to get bikes. So Ned and I go to a police auction and I got a bike for 75 bucks. The whole back end had been in a fire. Uh, it was, you know, charred. It had, I had foam grips on it for handlebars. I put a Radio Shack radio on there and bungee corded on so I could listen to music. And since we were rock climbers, we had these helmets that had no holes in them. Yeah. So we go for these 20-mile bike rides and feel like our heads were going to explode. And we're like, this 112-mile bike ride, it's going to take us 10 hours there's no way we're going to do this in one day. So I went out and got Panier's sleeping bag and tent because I thought you swam 2.4, rode 56, camped out, rode back the next day, and did the marathon. I thought it was a two-day thing. No idea. Seriously, no idea. So we go over, and I've got the, you know, we had no idea about bike shoes. We just had uh, just PF flyer type of things, and you put them in the cage. I didn't know you were supposed to tighten the cage. I thought you just put your foot in there. So we go over to Ned and I, we find out, we send our $25 in and we sign up for this army. I'm number three because I sent my $25 in third. I wasn't seated. Yeah, yeah. But when we came off the plane and back then, so the event, Ironman had 15 starters in 78, 12 finishers. 15 in 79, 12 finishers. After the article in Sports Illustrated, now we had 108 of us coming wow. over to Oahu, right? Yeah, 108 of us. Yeah. So, Ned, so, so that was 79. That was 80. 80. 80. 80. That's right. So third yep, year. Yep, yep, yep. So come over and Ned and I are all set to do this thing. And you have to have your own crew. They don't block off any roads. Yeah, yeah. So one of the kids, I was a school teacher at the time. So one of the kids I taught, her oh. dad lived over there. And he came over with his two girlfriends in his Fiat convertible. And who knew what to eat? So I had like 50 loaves of Hawaiian sweet bread, Gatorade. You know, we had this nutrition. We were, everybody was guessing. Nobody yeah, had yeah. a go. Dave Scott's parents followed him in a, with, with a spare bike on the top roof I, of the car, I've seen right? those pictures yeah. of that. Yeah, he yeah. had a, his shoe wouldn't go into the that bike That was Dave's clean. first year too, yes. right? Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Dave yeah. and I were, you know, together. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, they had to duct tape Dave's foot into the pedal because his, his cleat wouldn't stay. So remember they had those funny yeah, cleats yeah, back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so he was, there was a movie called Breaking Away that had come out in mm, 1979, huge, right? Yeah, yeah. And they duct taped his foot on. Dave stole it. They duct taped his foot when it wouldn't stay. And so Dave Scott's parents were like, oh, well, we'll just duct tape his, <laughs> but his 112 miles without getting off the bike. So wow. anyway, we are all set to do this race and there's these big storms in Oahu. And the race director calls us all in, this guy Hank, he calls us into, and we're at the Grand Otani Hotel. And Ned and I had did all of our swimming in a 120-length-in-a-mile condo pool in San Diego. <laughs> we had been in the ocean, and we had done the tugs thing, but we're looking at 10-foot waves breaking against the building, yeah, right? Well, well. We're going to die. But Ned and I were like, it's nice knowing you. Tomorrow we're going to die. This will be our last day on Earth. It was really good hanging out with you. How old were you? How old were you? I think I was 28. 28. So yeah, really yeah, young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we go into the meeting, and this guy, Hank, goes, guys, I've got an opportunity. Uh, ABC Wide World of Sports is here to cover cliff diving on Sunday. They want to cover our race tomorrow, which will be huge for our event. Remember, they got 108 people. Mm, that's mm, it. Mm. 
It would be huge for our event. But the year before, they had to postpone it a day because the surf was so big. Hmm. They had to move it Sunday. If I move it to Sunday, I'll lose ABC. So I'm moving the swim to Alamoana Channel, which Ned and I were like, we are going to live. This is the greatest day of our lives. Yeah. But meanwhile, Dave Scott and all the Navy SEALs who were in the room, what a pussy event. You can't move the swim from the Waikiki Rough Water Swim. It's not the Ironman. Ned and they're like, yeah, you can't move the swim like, knowing we're going to live. This is the best thing that ever happened. <laughs> yeah, baby, I can't believe we're going to live. So they did. They moved the swim. Yeah. And so we, it was, you swam four lengths in Alamoana Channel. Mm -hmm. So I'm swimming, and I'm still staying as shallow as possible. And I'm swimming and there was a guy in the race. His name was John Huckabee, 59 years old from the East Coast. He was the only guy with sponsors. He was sponsored by like Acme Meats or something. Okay. And he had done the Athens Marathon three times in a row in one day. Oh, wow. Was, you know, like out, back, out, yeah. back. But he had no idea how to swim, right? So the incredible Huck is I'm, I swim down and on my way back, I almost go into Huck who's walking the swim. I swear to God, he's... The shallow water, he's moving his hands like he's swimming. He walked the entire 2.4-mile swim. He's the only guy in the history of the Ironman to get blisters on his feet during the swim portion of the Ironman Triathlon World Championship. So I come out of the water, and there's my crew. And I've got my wool jersey on, long sleeve wool jersey, because I'm an idiot. I've got shorts, like beige shorts with a regular belt, a leather belt. I'm the only guy to wear a leather belt at the Ironman World Championship. And I've got a pocket sewn on the back of this thing so that I could put my Hawaiian sweetbread in there and yeah, eat this yeah. thing. And my radio so I can tune in songs. I get on the bike and I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. I've got, you know, stuff in my pocket. And I'm tuning in my radio. You got food. I know, I'm here. <laughs> I'm riding through, and no roads are blocked. I'm riding through Waikiki. Oh, and I had solid rubber tires on because yeah. I had no idea to change a flat. Yeah. So I, I had to wax these things on. Uh. And so anyways, and reflectors, had all the cool stuff. Get to about mile 25, there's my crew on the side of the road. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be like Tour de France. You're going to be a food handoff. This is great. Big Mac fries and a Coke. Brown bag, Big Mac fries and a Coke. Mile 90, I got to rip your snow cone. And then I come in at the end of the bike and I can hear this music. And I come in and my crew is there. They got a bamboo mat set up. They've got a boom box playing tunes. How about a massage? And I'm like, oh, I, my neck is so tight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a 45 minute massage between the bike and the run. It was like the greatest thing ever. <laughs> then they had a rule back then that if you lost 5% of your body weight, you, mm. they would pull you out of the race. Where mm. the science came from, I have no idea, but they had scales. We had to get off yeah. our bike a number of times. And John Howard raced that year. Mm. And John the was biker. Yeah, biker. three time yeah. Olympian, yeah, yeah. Pan American Games gold yeah, medals. Yeah. He was the overwhelming favorite. He was yeah, supposed yeah, to win. Yeah. He couldn't swim. He swim took him an hour 51, mm -hmm. right? He was out there a long time. But, but John was, you know, imagine he went like four hours something in that bike ride with stoplights and with having to get off the bike and get weight. Wow. So that, that bike course, that, his course record that he set back then was pretty amazing. So anyways, I leave transition on the run, and they weigh me. And then I get, through, I'm eating Hawaiian sweet bread, and I'm waddling through Waikiki and eat, drinking Gatorade. <laughs> I, I, get, I get to mile five, and I can hear the guy in the walk. I get on no scale. I can hear the guy, right, can you give me that again? He's gained five pounds. You can't gain weight <laughs> doing this. Thing. So then I'm running along, and then we get to Diamond Head. And you run up Diamond Head, then you drop down into Capilani Park, and you're done with the race. And I thought this was going to take me two days. My crew is behind me with their Fiat convertible lighting up the road, and I'm running up. Diamond Head, and I'm like, 
this is the coolest thing I have ever done. This, I'm, I'm going to finish this thing in one day. I had no idea to finish one day. And then I'm um, running down in the Copperlandy Park and I start thinking, God, there's going to be bands. There's going to be, you know, all sorts of cheerleaders. I can't wait to see the festivities to the finish. And as I come into the park, I see a, a, a chalk line and a light bulb. And I hear a guy out there. He's like, hey, you. I'm like, yeah, you in the race? Yeah, you're done. That was it. There was one guy doing one-arm push-ups in the park and me and a light bulb and a chalk line. There was nothing there. But it was like one of those things, and you've had that moment, where you know you've done yeah, something that yeah, changed you. Yeah. You're a different person right now than you were five minutes ago. Yeah. I just knew this thing meant so much to me, it's going to mean way more to other people down the line. There's something special here. This yeah. is magic in a bottle. And so when I came home from that, I was still working as a teacher, but Mike Plant offered me a job working for San Diego, his, what was Running News, and I sort of convinced him, hey, you know, this triathlon thing's going to get big. So it became San Diego Running and Triathlon News. I became his editor, and I would drive my partner, Lois, who became the best photographer in the sport, did the yeah. Iron War shot and everything else. Lois left, she was the art teacher at the same school I was at, uh. and we left together, and she became the uh, photographer for LA, for Running and Triathlon News. I was the editor. We drive to LA every weekend and cover running races, triathlon races and just we were in fat city we we're loving every second of it it's because of people like you that we have the sport though when you when you go back and you think about firstly that you just adopted and and, and loved it right away right? right that passion that hook but then you spread the news Right. right then, then you've shared the message to exactly. the world. And yes, you have the Sports Illustrated. Yes, you had the ABC effect. Right. But those are one-offs, and they can be they can be forgotten pretty quick. Right. But when you have the consistency, consistency. that you guys then gave the sport, so then I'm a kid in Australia. Right. You know, 13, 14, 15, and now I'm starting to see this trickle down effect. Right. Of course, and you're, you're seeing go, Greg Welch yes, and McKeeley Jones. Yeah, well, even before that, yes, I, oh. I, I, 85, 86 is kind of when I oh, was starting. Oh, Mark Allen, Dave yeah, Scott, yeah. all that stuff. And those Tindley. guys, and we used to, we used to, um, you know, the, in the pubs in Australia. Yeah. You, you know, you got to be over eighteen to go right. in, but we'd sneak in the back and, and have watch it on, the TV show, and they'd have it on Sky, you know, yeah. on, the, on the Sky TV, and and they'd have the, you know, later on the Bud Light series, yes. the USTS Bud Light series, and Dave Scott, you know, and everything else, and everyone forgets that Dave Scott. Yes, he was in a remarkable Ironman athlete, and you know this. He won he everything. Actually, he won that USTS series and, and actually was one of the better short course athletes there for a while as well. So. He won the first ever USTS race yeah, in 1982, right. in that's June right. of 82. Yeah. And that is what people don't understand. So 1980 was ABC. The year before was uh, Sports Illustrated. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then ABC is covering the event. And it's great. Dave Scott wins in 80. He takes you know, the, Tom Warren's course record 11.15. He went 9.23. Like yeah. he changed everything. Oh, yeah. But... It's hard for an average person at home watching this thing when Dave Scott needs to cool down after doing a 140.6-mile race. The following year, John Howard wins, who is a three-time Olympian, Pan-American. People can't, who are watching in Pittsburgh, they can't relate to this guy. Yeah. And then in February of 82... You had Julie Moss. Yeah, that was and when we moved over to the Big Island, right? Uh, yeah, we moved over in 81. Oh, 81. 81. That's yep, right. That's yeah. right. So John Howard, who in 1980 finished, I think, fourth, third or fourth, and he was supposed to win. Nobody knew who the hell Dave Scott was. Yeah. He was a swim instructor. But John Howard was this amazing cyclist. Well, 
it proved when he got his butt kicked that you can't just be a great cyclist. You got to be a triathlete. Yeah. So he went to San Diego, became a swimmer, took, I think he took like 35, 40 minutes off his swim time, ran a, a three hour something marathon and won in 1981 mm. as a triathlete. Mm. Now that he's a triathlete, he won the race. So people couldn't relate to him. They couldn't relate to Dave. Then all of a sudden, Julie Moss mm-hmm. is on television coming apart at the seams. Like she's winning like the race. She was 22 or something? She was 22 really years young, old. Right? Yeah, Both yeah, her yeah, and yeah. Kathleen. That's right. Her yeah. and Kathleen were 22 years old. And actually, yeah. it was funny. On the exact anniversary, on February 6, 1982, and then on 2022, February yeah, yeah. 6, 20, 40 years. we are doing, I did an interview with Julie and Kathleen together for Tri Club of San Diego. We had a full house in San Diego. And Julie looks up at the clock and she goes, this is when it happened. Yeah. It was like 6.05. Yeah, it was yeah. like just... Yeah. And so she had this huge lead and she's wearing a trucker hat. Mm-hmm. She's 22 years old. She could be your daughter. Yeah. She could be your girlfriend. Yeah. She could be you know, the person who babysits your kids. So people sitting home in Pittsburgh, now they have something to relate to. Yeah. I can relate to this girl. You know, I call it the original reality television because we were watching at home as this woman came apart at the seams. You watch her collapse, mm-hmm. you watch her poo herself, you watch her get up and you're thinking, you're like a boxer, stay down or walk, quit trying to run. If you walk, you'll get there. And then she collapses for the last time and Kathleen, who has no idea, when she came onto Ali'i Drive, she goes, I was expecting all this pageantry, people screaming. I was in second place and it was like a, like a funeral yeah. because they'd been watching Julie. Yeah. So then when Kathleen, all of a sudden the lights and the ABC truck Aww. and everything's on her and she's like, what happened? You've won. She starts jumping up and down. Well, then you, the camera goes back and you see Julie crawling, yeah. right? And you see her collapse on the line. They put a layer around her neck. She's got a smile on her face. They pick her up the on a stretcher. The smile on her face was the- amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah. And they take her off on a stretcher. Yeah. And what people don't realize is ABC Wide World of Sports in those days, they would do three vignettes. So it was an hour show. They did Iron Man. Well, then they go to ice dancing while Julie's on a stretcher. People have no idea if she's alive or dead. People lit up the phone lines at ABC, and ABC was forced to fly Kathleen and Julie to New York the following weekend to be on air with Jim McKay, who is the yeah. dean of ABC World of Sports, to assure the American public this sport doesn't kill people. Yeah. And But this is before women were even allowed to do the marathon absolutely. in the Olympics. So 84 was the first year they had the marathon. So here we have, they're doing the marathon after 112 yes. mile bike and, yes. and the swim. This was almost, it forced almost the Olympic uh, we, well, better get our, we better well, get our shit together with the, with the women as well. And the commentator for ABC that day was Jim Lampley. Yeah. And because he was the commentator on the Ironman with mm. Julie and Kathleen, he was the guy at the finish line of the 84 Olympic marathon uh-huh. to be with Joan Benoit because he was the dean of women endurance sports now yeah. because he had called Julie and Kathleen. Is that right? Yeah. And then what happened from there, that was the most pivotal moment in our sport because then Jim Curl and Carl Thomas started the United States Triathlon Series in June of 82. Yeah. And who were the stars? Julie and Kathleen, the rematch. And Kathleen got her again, right? And, yeah. and then the top four that day, Dave Scott, Scott Molina, Scott Tinley, Mark Allen. Yeah. But that led to Iron Man also said, well, we 
all these people want to do this Ironman right now. So they added a second Ironman in 82, in October of 82, so that people from other parts of the world, because when it was in February, yeah, coming who can out train of for winter it? in Northern Hemisphere. You can't yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah. So you, it worked it, for Australians. It worked we, for we, you we, guys, we, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It totally worked for you guys and worked for California, yeah, but yeah, it yeah. didn't work for yeah, yeah. Germany, et cetera. So, in fact, we should have kept it that way. We never would have seen <laughs> these guys, right? America would still be dominating. You, We too yeah, would be dominating. We could have shared California and Australia. Forget the and Ferdano and all those guys. They'd be gone. Sebastian, we should have kept it in February. What were you thinking? So, yeah, so that led to a second event in yeah. February of 82, in October of 82, and that changed everything. Yeah. Now the event opened up to people from all over the world. And if you look at, you know, after, after Welchie became the first non-American to win the thing yeah, 90, in 94, 94, yeah. 94. And then since then, Mark was Mark and then the Daboom. Uh, and in 2001, 2002, those are the only Americans since. Americans since, since yeah. The Americans, is, the Americans have got to make this comeback at some point here. Yeah, the yeah. American men. Yep. The, women are, the women are doing very, very well, especially yes. in the, the I2 and the World Series. And the men are coming. But yes, it's like, are. I feel like we've been saying that for a while. Now. We've been saying that for a while. I've been <laughs> yeah. saying that for a while. But it's, you know, that was really important. The other thing that people don't realize is that... Uh, that year in 82, uh, ABC Wild World Sports had the rights to film the Iron Man. Mm. There was another group called Freewheeling Films that Rodney Jacobs, uh, he was a producer, and he wanted to come film the Iron Man. So he called Valerie Silk, who was a race director, and said, Valerie, I'd like to come film the Iron Man. She goes, I have an exclusive with ABC. He goes, we're good friends with ABC. They'll be fine. So he brought this guy over, Bruce Stern, and filming, and ABC was pissed. Mm. They didn't want them there. Mm. So there's a trailer right next to the finish line. And while Julie is crawling... The producer is screaming at Valerie, going, Valerie, we will never be back. You violated our contract. You were not supposed to let anybody else on the course. Meanwhile, this guy's assistant goes, boss, you should come see what's going on here. This is pretty amazing. He never saw it. Valerie never saw it. So when Valerie left that trailer, he thought ABC was gone. And she gets a note that Julie wanted to uh, talk to her in medical. And Julie was apologizing for collapsing. And, you know, says, I, is it okay if I race next year? And Valerie's like, sure, knowing there wouldn't be a next year. The Iron Man was done. ABC she was, thought it was over. over. Yeah, she yeah. thought Iron Man was done. Then, because of the footage, and the footage got sent back to New York right away, they realized normally this would take months to edit this. It's like a couple weeks later, they put this thing on mm. because they knew they had something really special. It was really impactful. Mark Allen, when I had him on the show, he's like, you know, I was watching that race. And he knew Julie. And that was, I triggered that moment, right? Oh, he knew Julie previous he to did, that. He did, from video. lifeguarding. Oh, the okay, two were lifeguarding. Okay. Yeah, he knew Julie from lifeguarding. Yeah, yeah. And that was, that was what pivoted. And there's, if you talk to people, it's Julie, it's Dick and Rick Hoyt, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, for some people, it's you know, Jim McLaren. But there's a lot of, and usually it's not, the guy who won the race overall no. that got them into the sport yeah, yeah, made yeah. them realize that this, I think when they, when it happened with Julie and Kathleen, they realized that this is, even though Julie is a elite athlete, this is still, uh, this is emotion. This yeah, is passion. Yeah. This is something everybody out there. And the, here's the thing. When she's crawling, imagine you're a typical guy in Cleveland or wherever you've got your family, you've got your job, your life is going pretty well. And you're going, what is it about that finish line that means yeah. so much that someone will crawl to get there with a smile on their face? And how do I get some of that in my life? Yeah, yeah. And that led to everybody going, okay, um, I, I've got my family. Everything is going well. I need something else. I need a little bit of this pizzazz, this passion. There yeah. is something really cool I mean, here. I just want to feel like, I mean, that's a, when you look at the people of triathlon and the community. Yeah. 
if there's one way of summing them up, it's like everybody in this community is just trying to get a little bit more out of life. Absolutely. Right? They're all trying yep. to peep over the edge and yeah. see, what, see what's there. Exactly. You know? And it's almost like that's who attra- who's attracted to this kind of a sport. Yep. And that's why you have this camaraderie and there's this really cohesive community is because it's just... Yeah, people just trying to get more out of life. Absolutely. It, it, it really, and Iron Man, and in those days, lifted the bar mm-hmm. and brought with it, like the, the rising tide lifts all boats. Right, right? it does. For all the sport yep. around the world, you it know, did. which then eventually led to the Olympic movement and everything else. All which, that. Yeah, so, okay, let's, I mean, I love all of these stories, Bob, so this is fantastic. <laughs> but, you know, you've been in the sport for 40 plus years now. Are there any, apart from the moments where we've just spoken yeah. about, which must be, the greatest highs, the biggest experiences that you've seen in, in the 40 years, if, if you self-reflect sure. on them, yeah. Well, obviously being in Sydney at yeah. that first Olympic in the Games, Olympics, yeah, just, yeah, just sitting yeah. right there at the finish yeah. line and having spent so much time with McKeely and actually staying at her house in, in, yeah. in, outside of Sydney there and watching her get the silver. And I, we always looked at it that she didn't lose the gold, she won the silver, mm. right? Whatever happened with Bridget later, that was McKeely couldn't control that. That was a, a very, very special moment. The other thing that throughout- By the way, yeah. let me interrupt that so yes. listeners know. So Bridget McMahon, oh, yes. uh, she, did, she did get um, caught for, for drugs, for drugs uh, several years later. But um, yes, anyway, I, I just wanted to make sure people- Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So the other cool thing was throughout the 80s, we were so lucky because we had this recurring drama of Dave Scott and Mark Allen uh, mm. in Kona. Mm. And there was three television stations in the U.S. back then. And so you had in, you know, 82, Mark's derailleur falls off the bike right when he catches Dave, right? 83, he gets third. 84, he's got a 13-minute lead, blows up, blows to the moon by half marathon. David's caught him. 85, they both boycott because there's no money. Right, uh, Tinley wins that year, and then that following year, a hundred thousand dollars mysteriously shows up, and uh, a guy donates that to and change the sport because otherwise, those guys can make other money other places. Yeah, this isn't yeah. a hobby. Yeah, yeah. So Iron Man had to change for the better. So then, eighty-seven, Mark has a five-minute lead and ends up with t- internal bleeding, ends up in the hospital, and we're working on a book. Is that when he had the bleeding nose and everything? Yes. There was blood going over? Yeah, I yeah. remember that. Yeah, I remember yeah. Dave running around the van? Yes, yeah, yes, running around yes. The ABC Wasn't van. that the yeah, ultimate Mark, overtake? Totally. I, he <laughs> was won't notice me. Was that up, uh, not no, Blood, Queen, Highway. Side, Queen Highway, yeah, but up Queen the, Highway. one of the hills there. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And Mark was, what had happened is we actually had a book contract for 87, Mark and I, to do a book. Mark huh. Allen's Total Triathlon. He also had a deal with Kellogg's. Yeah. I think it was a $100,000 bonus if he won Ironman. And so Kellogg's had come out with a new cereal called Prograin, and the Prograin was actually a recycled uh, Star Wars cereal <laughs> of some sort. But they had signed, and it's Iron, they must have done the deal with Iron Man because Iron Man food, right? Yeah. Well, if you're Dave Scott, who's won the Iron Man, I don't know, five times, <laughs> And this guy's just signed an Iron Man food deal. Yeah. You're not very happy no. about that. And you know Dave well enough to know that if, if there's a reason to train harder, I'll take that he's, reason. He's got enough of a chip on his he's shoulder. He's got a chip on. <laughs> the chip is there. So anyways, Mark gets that five-minute lead, ends up internal bleeding, ends up in the hospital. You know, where Dave is, Dave wins his, you know, sixth and final Iron Man. And Mark's in the hospital reading these comments from Dave, basically saying, Mark needs to do his own race. Mark needs to quit sitting on me during a swim and yada, yada, yada. And Mark's like, I'm dying here. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I, I might lose intestines. So at that point, we thought Mark was done, that he wasn't coming back to Kona. And then in 88, he comes back. Dave drops out the night before. He flats a couple times. So now it comes down to 89. And I call both these guys in March of 89. 
guys, I want to do a photo shoot because it's going to be a great race this year. And I want, you know, you guys side by side. Showdown on the Kona Coast was my vision. It's March, all right? Dave's like, no problem, have Mark come here to Davis. I'll do the shoot. And Mark's like, no problem, have Dave come here to Boulder. I'll do the shoot. They aren't going anywhere. So I had this photographer, Dave Epperson, take a backdrop and go and drive to Davis and drive to Boulder and compose the two of them on the cover. It's October 88 cover, uh, Showdown on the Kona Coast. And then the next one was Iron War with Mark in in yellow and Dave in Uh, green. It was was the ultimate, right? Dave Scott on that day when his course record was 828. He yeah. went 8.10. Mm. He took 18 minutes off his course record and lost yeah, yeah. by less than a minute. Yeah. It was for Mark to beat Dave. 56 seconds, yes. wasn't it? Yeah. For Mark to beat Dave and to beat him on the best day he ever had. And I always say, you know, Mark, it would have been great if you'd won an 88, but it wouldn't have meant as much. Yeah. You needed to beat the man on the best day he ever had. Yeah. Then you were the Iron Man. But yeah. the interesting part is Mark's mom realized before the 89 race, and I don't know if you know about this, there's a, uh, a legend on the island that you don't ever take lava off mm. the island, on the big island. Madame yeah, Pele yeah, is not yeah. very happy, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, Mark's mom looked up at her bookcase one day and realized that she had lava up there, right? And uh, brought it back before the 89 race, and Mark never lost after that. <laughs> but what's fascinating is I, I wrote about this in the 25th anniversary Iron Man book, and I called the museum, the uh, Volcano Museum, and, and said, now is this, do, do you get letters? And Oh, yeah, we've got a whole case with letters and lava. Dear Madam Pele, I brought this lava home from the corner of Hualalai and Kuakini. My brother was diagnosed with cancer after that. Please take this lava back. Wow, I'm so yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, case after case after case. And I'm like, so what What do you do with the lava? Well, and, they, and then they send bottles of gin because that's Madam Pele's favorite drink. Gin? Gin. She likes <laughs> I gin. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, she likes gin. So they go, yeah, no, we kick the rocks out the door and we take the gin home. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. But I, seriously, I hose off before I leave that island, man. I don't, I, if there's a pebble stuck somewhere, I don't want to know about That's it, man. Awesome. A quick mini break to remind you to go check out Any Question on iOS or Android. That's Any Question, one word. You can download it there or you can check out anyquestion.com forward slash Bob Babbitt. By the way, the book, yes. Total Triathlete, Mark Allen, I didn't realize that you, you the author of Oh, yeah. I could memorize that entire book. Uh, the, actually, the, the piece on the back cover, so this was 87, 88, whenever 87. It, I had that book. There was a Dave Scott book as well, but yep. that was too technical for me. See, this book was Mark all stories. Allen was all stories. And sausage it was, story. And, he, and him yeah, signing the deal prison. with his first sponsor. Uh, well, Nike was one of his first. No, even oh, the, so, Jay so, David. or Jay, Jay David, yes. Jay, Jay David, David, I think, was his yes. first kind yep, of big was. deal. And I remember that. And then the back cover was, there's a great quote that Mark put together about, basically about going beyond where he's ever been before. Yes, and opening you 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 open doors and you face you face you you open a door and you face that next challenge. Yeah. Whatever's next, you don't know what's it, next. It was a great quote. Yeah. It was a fantastic book, and I just want to mention oh, that thank because you, it was, it's, it's funny because it fueled every, my passion and desire. Everything else had been very technical and very yes. training oriented, yes. and I did put a little section in there training. But I just loved Mark. Actually, was sitting on a beach in Maui after after the eighty seven nightmare. 
and he had all these micro cassettes that I still have in a safe deposit box, by the way. Yeah. You know, there's still so many gems on there um, from those little tapes. That, 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 that so book, cool. I can't believe you. The, that makes me, gives me goosebumps because that book influenced my life a lot in that terms of, That book was so much know, fun to write. Yeah. It was it, supposed to be with Scott Molina yeah. and Molina was like, you know, I don't really feel like doing it. And yeah. so we did it with Griff. No, with Mark, because I remember, I wasn't a book reader as a kid, right? right? Yeah. I was in high school and sure. I was in love with triathlon. And I remember reading that book back, can you still buy it? Total Triathlon? Yeah. Yes, you can. We got it. We it's got so it. online. It is. It's you know what? It's really because it was really cool. There was, you know, one so, one chapter was the sausage principle. Yes. And Mark was just always so insightful. I yeah. when I first you know spent time with Mark, I, I had a hard time talking in front of him because you always felt that his he was like up here mentally. He was, he was so intense. far ahead, so intense. intense and yeah. I, yeah. and especially because yeah. my partner Lois would shoot him during the race, and we're talking hundreds and hundreds of shots of, of yeah. him on a bike and run. Yeah. yeah. And he, after a race, he'd be like, in a couple of days later, was Lois out there yesterday? Yeah. I said, Mark, she was five feet from you for seven hours. <laughs> he goes, I, I didn't notice. <laughs> like, I sat next to him last night at the, yeah, uh, the, the, yeah. the dinner. And I'll be surprised if he remembers that he sat he's, next it's, to me. It's, 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 it's unbelievable no. how when he's focused, it's yeah. un. Just unbelievable. You he's, know, he's a very special guy. It, it, it's funny for me personally, and I know we're going a little bit off track here, but it's, um, you know, for me, Mark was always... A bit, I didn't have heroes, but I did kind of idolize yeah, yeah. this guy. Yeah. I was like, ah. And I remember as a kid, you know, I I didn't have any sort of equipment or gear. Right. And, you know, I had no handlebar tape. I used electrical right. tape or whatever, keep yeah, the bike yeah. together. And, and there was one day I was going to write a letter to Mark Allen to say, look, if you have any extra gear, you know, like help help, help, help me out. And I never did, obviously. And this is way before internet yeah, yeah. or anything else. But now I kind of consider him a good friend. Right. And, you know, to be able to sit, you know, say, come and sit with me at the induction dinner. You know, it was That's actually, it, it's just kind of like how things become that way. You know what the funny part is too, is the two of them, yeah. you know, I've seen them like in, in 86, when Mark had just done Nice, both of them knew Dave was going to win, mm. right? So there was no tension. They're standing at, at Digby Beach, which is you know where the yeah. swim starts, and they're chatting the day before because Mark just decided he was in Maui and he was feeling good, and he had done Nice a week or two weeks beforehand. He's like, I'll just jump in, and mm. he got second, mm. right? Well, the following year with the pro grain, the Kellogg's, and all bit, they are sitting as close as we are right now at the pro meeting. Yeah. No eye contact. Yeah. Not what nothing, yeah. right? And it's like the, I the love that. you could oh the best the tension I love you could that tension. you could cut that with a knife, and then you know. Uh, even after that, so we do these interviews starting, and we did these really fun interviews, the two of them together, we go through their careers. And obviously early career, it's Dave kicking Mark's ass, Dave kicking Mark's ass, Dave kicking. Mm -hmm. We'd get to 89 and Dave would like, can I leave now? Yeah. It's like, dude, give him one, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Let, sit here and, you know, and, and it's not like you had a bad race. No. You took 18 minutes off the course record and he had a better day. Yeah. Tip your hat. Yeah. But it's like, you know, for Mark, Mark has been able to come to grips with the fact Dave dominated. Yeah. I needed to come to his turf and figure out how to beat him. Yeah. And he's okay with that. Yeah. And for Dave, it's still... Bob, nobody wants to talk about 89. No. I'm like, well, yeah, all fairness, my people when do. I've, when I've had Dave back on the show, I do try and sit a little longer on 87. Of so, course. You know, because that was a remarkable comeback when he totally. had to, to, to run him down. Well, yep. How many minutes did you say it was? Five that? minutes. He had yeah, a five-minute gap. Five, five minutes, yep. and then he had to run him down. And, and look, Mark had his issues. But still, you know, Dave paced that to perfection he did. in 87. And, and sometimes I do feel, don't get me wrong, 89, yeah. as a Hollywood movie script – 
you couldn't have scripted the whole thing any better than it was. That whole right. thing, you know, it really was the whole decade. Marvelous. Yeah, the whole decade. decade. <laughs> you had it was like I love Lucy. Yeah. You had reruns every yeah. People who didn't know anything about triathlon knew Dave and Mark, the guy who runs like a duck, yeah. the, and the other guy, you know, who wins every race around the world, and the guy who is beautiful runner. Yeah. and wins everywhere except here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? No, I, I think it's fantastic. I want to shift gear a little bit okay. because I want to, you know, um, I want to talk about the Challenged Athlete Foundation. Good. Because this, this <laughs> is, uh, and I want to make sure that we give people a bit of a call to action here as well sure. to help, how to help out. But first and foremost, you know, just tell me about how that started. Sure. And then we'll go into what it's about and some highlight some stories for us. So actually everything really starts with triathlon again. So uh, Jim McLaren was a 300-pound offensive lineman for mm-hmm. Yale mm-hmm. in college. And in 1985, he was taking acting classes in New York, was on his motorcycle, gets hit by a bus, thrown 90 feet in the air, dead on arrival, lives, loses his lower left leg, reinvents himself and runs a 316 marathon with a walking leg. That's where I first heard about this guy. 316? 316. Then he comes to Kona and goes 1042. How big was he then by the time? He was, he was probably 190, but yeah. he was still wow. six foot three, yeah, six yeah, foot big four. Lab. Big yeah, guy, yeah. 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 So he comes to Kona and goes 1042 in, at the Ironman World Championship. And then that's when I did, did a feature on Jimmy and he got Budweiser as a sponsor and Profile by Design. Right. He's traveling the world. Every triathlon wants him. Eight years later, he's racing in Mission Viejo, Orange County Performing Arts Center, which I think you've done. Yeah, yeah. And a van goes through a closed intersection during the race, hits the back of his bike, propels him headfirst in a pole. A guy's an amputee, becomes a quadriplegic. It's mind-boggling. The same person happening twice. Wow. So Jimmy, you know, right away, it was, we got to do something. So Rick Kozlowski, who's actually here racing, he puts on, he put on all the events in San Diego, the race director. Jeffrey Essekow, who worked for the Tinley Company, which had actually come up with a, like a gel to use on his prosthetic leg mm. for, for Jimmy, for his race kit. And so the three of us got together and it's like, we got to do something for Jimmy. So the first idea, the idea was we're going to put on a little triathlon. And I had covered, before Jimmy, I had covered through the magazine a lot of wheelchair athletes. Mm. And one guy in particular, this guy, Jim Kanab, who taught me a lot about disability. Jimmy was an Olympic trials pole vaulter, got hit. He's on his motorcycle going to a track workout. You did a different route to work that day, got hit by a car, paralyzed. He said, Bob, I knew before I hit the ground that there was a reason for this. Mm. And he became sort of the pipe piper and, you know, I was like, listen, I'm, I just did the same 10K you did. I won the race. Why don't I get the money? Right. And he's wearing a Dalmatian skin suit and the whole bit. First time I interviewed him, I'm at his house in Long Beach and I see a nickel on the ground Mm. in his, in his living room Mm. on the floor. And I'm like, oh my, poor crippled guy can't pick up the nickel. And so I go to pick up the nickel. It's glued to the ground. And Jim Kadab sitting there drinking a beer. He says, so Babbitt, you didn't think the poor cripple could pick up the nickel off the floor? <laughs> he says, don't ever underestimate somebody with a challenge. Uh, we're, we're still athletes. And he came up with a line. And I got an MTV sports thing with him and David Bailey, who was a former motocross guy who was in a wheelchair as well. And he's like, the person who wins a race isn't the person who goes the fastest. It's the person who slows down the least. And, you know, that is universal. Everybody can relate. You can relate to that, mm, right? Yeah, and a wheelchair guy yeah. can relate to that. Yeah. So Jimmy was the one who sort of showed me, and we, I, before CAF, I was putting on these wheelchair criteriums during these bike races in San Diego. They have the, at La Jolla Grand Prix, you have the women racing and the men racing. And in between, we do a 5K with Jim Kadab and David Bailey and all these top wheelers doing a 5K with preems every lap and the whole bit. 
And we what year was this? What year that was, was this? probably 85, 86, oh, yeah, yeah, 87. Yeah, you know, yeah. this was uh, this is this is a long time ago. Yeah, it was old as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was something about the stories. Yeah. You're a storyteller. Yeah, there's something about the stories when you're an Olympic trials pole vaulter, and and then and the the whole thing. You're a construction guy, and all of a sudden you're in a wheelchair. Yeah. Where do you go? What do yeah. you? There's no internet back then. So Jimmy, they they would be telling people in rehab center, hey. Uh, you need to get a van with a lift and hand controls and all this stuff. And they, Jim Knob would drive up in a 1965 Rambler convertible and have his chair behind him and grab it out of there and throw it next to his car and dive into the chair. And he'd roll in and go, they told you what you can't do. I'm here to tell you what you can do. And that, that always stuck with me. So anyway, so when Jimmy gets hurt the second time, what I heard from Jimmy was, you know, when you get into from Jim Knob, when you get injured, all of a sudden you're 30 years old, you're paralyzed, and here come mom and dad back in your life. Mm-hmm. You were an independent person and now you're not. There, there's something that's really awful with mm-hmm. that. So our goal was we're going to raise $25,000 by Jimmy, a van with hand controls to give him independence. That was it. Mm-hmm. We raised forty nine from the little triathlon. We're like, this is awesome. And three amputee women who were friends of Jimmy had put a relay team together to support Jimmy at the event. And they're like, thank you so much for what you did. Jimmy's a big hero to us, but did you know when you get injured, your health insurance covers a walking around leg or an everyday wheelchair? Nothing to do with sport is covered by insurance because they consider sport a luxury item. Mm. We both know sport isn't a luxury item. It's, it keeps us sane. It's life. keeps us from medication. Yeah. It keeps us from so many things. So that's when we got our 5013C and decided if someone needed a piece of equipment, training, or travel to stay in the game of life through sport, that CF would be there forever. So it's been 29 years. We've raised $147 million. Wow. We've sent out over 40,000 grants to athletes in 73 countries, all 50 states in Puerto Rico, and more mate. importantly, wow. 104 different sports. So if you are a sled hockey player, if you're a wheelchair basketball player, if you're a paratriathlete, you need equipment, you need training, you need coaching, you need travel. That's where we're like, just in April, we sent out 3,256 grants totaling $6.2 million. Wow. Where, where, where does the funding come from? How are you doing the funding? We do the funding a lot of different ways. We started yeah. with that San Diego Triathlon Challenge, right? Which yeah. we raise usually 1.1, 1.2 million a year. Yeah. We do an amazing bike ride that you would love. Huh. 640 mile. It's called the uh, Million Dollar Challenge. We go from San Francisco to San Diego, close it off with 175 riders, 12,500 each, and we'll have 20 challenge athletes along with. So you please escort out of San Francisco. They meet you for lunch along the way. And each day when you're done with the ride, your masseuse is waiting for you. Your mechanic is there to tune up your bike and your bags are in your five-star hotel room. Wow. And so people, it's, it's have, done right. yeah, people yeah. have done, created business partnerships. You had the president of Qualcomm, the president of Gateway. People have, have created business relationships that have lasted a lifetime through that ride. So what's it called again? What's that? It's called the Million Dollar Challenge. The Million Dollar Challenge. And can yeah. you look that up online? Yeah, I'm just on challengeathletes.org. I, I know I've got enough crazy yeah. listeners that are wanting oh, to do something like it. that. So. And Baker needs to come and do Ed that. Baker, yeah, he would I'll love mention it. that to Ed. He would yeah, love it. Yeah, yeah. So then, actually, next weekend, we have a gala in New York out in the Hamptons. Huh. And that, so the interesting story. So back in the day, uh, I've called David Yates, who's the president of Ironman. When Jim McLaren was injured, I called David and said, David, can we get a spot in Kona to auction off to raise money for Jimmy? And he gave us two spots. And that's really where all the charity stuff with Ironman started. And... Uh, this guy, Scott uh, Stackman, Scott Stackman from New York, decided he wanted to do the Ironman. And so he bought a spot through us. 
But part of the deal was he had to come out to our San Diego Triathlon Challenge event. We started with Jim McLaren and he needed to participate in that event hmm. to validate. Yeah. We wanted people to know the cause, not just buy a spot. Yeah, yeah. So he comes out to do the event and he's standing there when this little boy named Jake Frank, who's a double above knee amputee, we are presenting him a set of running legs. He gets out of the wheelchair, pops the legs on and starts running around and he receives legs from Robin Williams, right? And so he's playing tag with Robin Williams. And for whatever reason, Jake runs over and grabs Scott Stackman's hat. So Scott is chasing this little kid with these legs that he just received. And he's thinking to himself, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. If I do something in New York, uh, people will support it to the max. Hmm. So he calls up Virginia Tinley, our executive director, and goes, listen, I'd like to put on an event in New York. And we're, you know, she's thinking, oh, you want to put a luncheon? He goes, no, no, I've rented out the Waldorf uh, and we're going to do a gala. And we're like, what the hell's a gala? Well, you know, 300 people, 700 people, 800 people. He's raised $22 million through that gala over the years. Wow. And this next weekend, next the 13th of August, we'll be out in the Hamptons for the first time doing the gala out there. Wow. And yeah, it's, it's, but that started with him coming out and wanting to get a spot in Ironman, knowing nothing about who we are and what we do. And then Jake Frank and chasing Jake. And that changed that is, that is awesome. Is that amazing? Well, what are some of the, you know, some of the biggest impacts that you've seen through the foundation on certain <sighs> athletes? Yeah. You know, yeah. the, the, has there been a couple that really stand out? Absolutely. Well, yeah. one yeah. is uh, Emmanuel Ofosu Yaboa from Ghana. Emmanuel was born missing his tibia in one leg in, uh, in the country of Ghana. In the country of Ghana, 20% of the population is disabled through nutrition, through uh, the, the, all sorts of different, uh, there's malnutrition, there's cerebral palsy, there's- Whoa, um, 20%. 20% of the population of Ghana. And, and then your, your family is cursed if you have a child with any type of disability like that. So, and then, and you see them, your, your lot in life is begging on the road, on the side of the road. So Emmanuel was born, and missing the tibia. So he had a foot sticking out the back of his knee. His mother, Comfort, her name was Comfort, his mother was told to abandon him in the jungle because she would be a curse on the family. Dad had deserted the family as soon as he was born. So she refused to do that. She would carry him to school every day. And he's the only disabled kid in school. He turns, Emmanuel turns 13, mom gets sick. So he decides he has to leave school to shine shoes for a couple of dollars a day to take care of the family. When he turns 18, mom passes away, and through a missionary, he sends us a typewritten grant request asking for a bicycle because he wants to ride across Ghana to show people that someone with this, a disability can do anything. So we get this typewritten grant request, and his birth date is Cinco de Mayo, which is my birthday. And we decide, we'll send him a bike, we'll never hear from the kid. He rides 600 kilometers across Ghana with one leg and a mountain bike. And we're receiving all this media about what this kid's doing, he's changing. Nobody with a disability ever done anything like that. We bring him to San Diego to do our event that we start for Jim McLaren. He's never been out of Ghana. He's never been on a plane. He has $3 when he gets to San Diego, does the 56-mile bike ride with one leg on a mountain bike in seven hours, right? And I said, Emmanuel, what'd you think of the bike ride? He goes, Bob, I did not know San Diego was so hilly. <laughs> <laughs> so our title sponsor was Loma Linda Hospital. And I always tell people this story because it's like when people think, well, God, how do I change the world? I'm just one person. How do I change the world? Yeah. So we reach out to Loma Linda and say, is, is this kid a candidate for a prosthetic? And they say he is. So we're like, okay, 
we're, we'll uh, we'll take care of the cost of the leg, cost of transportation back and forth to Ghana. And they'll take care of the homestay and the operation. We send them back to Ghana. And I started thinking about it. If we don't capture this, this is a huge miss. Mm. So Lisa Lacks produced all the Iron Man TV shows for NBC. Mm. Her sister, Nancy, twin sister, identical twin, produced the Tour de France for CBS. Wow. Between them, they won 16 Emmy Awards. She also, Lisa also produced, she was the one working for NBC for the Sydney Olympics mm. because she had been doing the Ironman for NBC, said, we are going to start the Olympics with the triathlon and use it as a travelogue to show the Sydney Opera House, mm. to show the, the entire city yeah. of Sydney. So that we'll be able to do that with the triathlon because of my history with the Ironman. I know that's what they did. It was, uh, you know what the crowds were mm. for that woman. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah. Keely still says still the lot yeah. of stuff. So I call Lisa and Nancy who had both just left television to start documentary film company. I said, I don't know if this is a documentary or not, but here's this kid, Emmanuel. He's coming. He's going to get his uh, prosthetic leg, and I'd like you to shoot him now, be there for the operation, and be there when he does our leg, our event with two legs rather than one. They go, we'd love to do that. When's he coming? Like five months, six months? No, no, five days. They put a crew on a plane immediately at their own expense. They fly to Ghana. They are there for the operation. He has the operation. Six weeks later, he does a triathlon. Wow. Yeah. Three-mile run, 10-mile bike, 150-yard swim in a pool with his brand-new prosthetic leg. Flies back to Ghana, gets off the plane in Ghana. He's got jeans on. He'd never worn long pants in his life because he had his stump sticking out the back of his knee. Gets off the plane, and it's a it's in the town of Koferudia. Ticker tape parade through. He's got a $15,000 leg on in a country with a per capita income of $400. Comes back to our event the following year, does a bike ride with two legs rather than one and four hours rather than seven, and receives our most inspirational athlete award from Robin Williams. Mm. Then we fly him up to Nike, where he receives the most inspirational athlete award. It's called the Casey Martin Award. Comes with a $25,000 grant, which we match. So now he's our ambassador to Ghana. Then we send him to New York to have a sit down with the Secretary General of the United Nations, Kofi Annan, who's also from Ghana, to talk about the rights of the disabled in Ghana. Then we send a rough cut, Lisa Nancy sent a rough cut to Oprah, who agrees to narrate the film. And then Lisa and Nancy pitch ESPN on Jim McLaren and Emmanuel receiving the Arthur Ashe Courage Award at the ESPN SB Awards. Which, so imagine this, we're sitting in the Kodak Theater in LA and here comes Matthew Perry from Friends as the host of the evening, introduces Oprah, who comes out and introduces a 13-minute feature on Emmanuel, CAF, and Jim, narrated by Kiefer Sutherland, mm. that is beautiful. Mm. The piece airs, there's LeBron James and every star in the world in tears for our little charity that we had started like 10 years earlier. Oh, it was like the, So then we go to, uh, we get a call. The President Bush had watched the ESPY Awards and would like to meet Emmanuel. So we go to the Oval Office. We're in the waiting room for the Oval Office. We're going to launch the film at the National Geographic Theater in D.C. that evening. So that morning we're at the Oval at the, at the White House. And we're watching the, the news, and there's these bombings in London uh, in the subways. And we're like, oh, there's no way President mm. Bush is going to see us now. Well, they escort us into the Oval Office as, President Bush, as, as Rumsfeld and Cheney, Secretary of Defense and the Vice President, are sprinting out of the Oval Office. And so they usher us in, and it's myself, my partner John Smith from Competitor. It's Emmanuel and the most powerful person on the planet, <laughs> President Bush. And he's like, Emmanuel? What I appreciate 
is you were never looking for government help. You were looking to change the plight of the disabled on your own. So when you ride your mountain bike, do you use SPD pedals? Do you ride cages? Do you ride flat pedals? Because I ride with my boys at Quantico. We ride hard. How do you ride? So Manuel is wearing his Ghana garb, and he goes to take his leg off. And when he does that, it makes an audible click, okay. which the Secret Service wasn't very happy about. Oh, they start moving towards <laughs> us. And the next thing you see is the President of the United States holding this leg in his hand, right? Yeah. So the guy who set up the trip for a visit for us sends us a note the next day. Hey, guys, I want to let you know. It's great to have everybody here. We keep a list of the first things that happen in the Oval Office. The first person to take their leg off in the Oval <laughs> Office, Emmanuel Afosu <laughs> Yeboah from Ghana. Oh. So the next day... Emmanuel is flying back to Ghana after we show the film. And the picture of him and the president of the United States is in the papers in Ghana. And the president of Ghana had done nothing to support Emmanuel in mm. trying to get a disability act uh, passed in, in parliament. The president meets him at the airport in Accra and says, Emmanuel, I will get your disability act presented to parliament. And six months later, it was passed. Wow. And then, flash ad 2010, we're with President Bush doing a mountain bike ride. It's called the Warrior 100 down in Texas, and it's a bunch of the uh, folks who lost limbs mm -hmm. in, in defense of the, our, our country, and uh, myself and Jeffrey and some other folks from CAF. And the first night, we have President Bush is doing the shake hand thing, right? So I, I walk up, and I said, President Bush, you probably don't remember, but we met a few years ago in the Oval Office. I was with a young man from Ghana. He goes, Emmanuel, I never did find out. Does he ride flat pedals? Does he ride cages? <laughs> really? <laughs> he remembered like, the whole I thing. said, President Bush, you don't realize the fact that you met with Emmanuel changed the plight of the disabled in Ghana. A disability act was now passed because of you. He goes, well, you give that young man my best. Oh. So Emmanuel now travels the world as a motivational speaker. His one daughter, Linda, named after Loma Linda Hospital, where he got his leg. His second daughter, uh, Comfort, named after his mom. And his goal is to build a fitness center in Ghana that where all the employees will be disabled. Oh, but what a fantastic story. And I didn't <laughs> want to interrupt any of that because it really... Firstly, huge congrats oh, uh, on you and your team. It, it, it blows my mind that that one letter that one letter one changed letter everything, it, it and you see that all the time. Yeah, you see yeah. it all the time. It's, it's cool. Do, do you find? I mean, I, I don't want to keep too much of your time, but do you find it? Is it emotionally challenging for you the, the role that you have? Do you, is it like extremes? Because I guess you're dealing with people that are, have struggled, and you're trying to help them. Right. Find, you know, and then you see them have new limbs and suddenly yes. feel empowered. I mean, it's... It's the coolest thing because yeah. you know, someone you relate to, Jamie Whitmore. Yeah. Jamie's 37 external wins yeah. and one world championship. And she uh, ended up having to have a tumor removed from her sciatic nerve. And they knew when they cut it, she'd have drop foot and would never be able to race again. Mm. She was at the top of her game. Yeah. And so I called Courtney, her husband, at the hospital. and said, Courtney, I know Jamie. She's going to need support. So tell her to give me a call when she's when she's out because, you know, there's parasport. Yeah. And I know when Jamie was a little girl, she always wanted to be in the Olympics. Mm. Uh, but she was a runner. She wasn't a good enough runner. She wasn't a good enough swimmer. She wasn't a good enough mountain biker. But Xterra, she was great, but Xterra wasn't in the Olympics. So anyways, she gets out. She We get her in the paracycling. In 2016, she ends up taking a gold and silver in the Paralympics. Mm. And she's mm. there. And actually, she had went through... She had been, you know, sick with the cancer and everything, and then she thought she was over it and was like, I got sick again. And she went to the hospital and said, "What's going on? I can't. I thought I was through everything. Pregnant with twins." 
<laughs> Amazing, right? So the twins were there in 2016 when she won a gold and a silver in her second athletic life. And yeah. she, she went to this last Paralympics in Tokyo. So it's to me, it's being able to come into somebody's life, and our team does this every day, at possibly their lowest moment, mm. and... It's being able to see trajectory and see going to the Paralympics, you know, Lauren Parker and people like that. Lauren Parker, mm-hmm. who, who was, you know, she was a, a, a top Ironman hopeful mm-hmm. and she crashed on her bike and ended up being paralyzed from the waist down. Both tires went flat at the same time. April of 2017, I had her on the radio show in July and she says, Bob, I need to stay in triathlon. I'm like, well, then you need to come to our San Diego Triathlon Challenge in October. So we flew. She checked herself out of rehab to come to San Diego Triathlon Challenge, and which you need to come to, by the way. Yeah, yeah, you I need do. to come. You, you what would, time of year is that again? It's uh, October 21st, 22nd, 23rd. Okay. Oh, great. Right after, right right after, after Kona. Yeah, yeah, after yeah. Kona. You should come. Yeah. So she comes out, and I think she was thinking, you know, all these people are going to be there for, for me, and, you know, they're, they're going to be thinking, um, gosh, poor Lauren, and how do I help her out? And we got 150 challenge athletes from all over the world there, right? And she comes to the Thursday night thing we do for the kids. And you've got kids who are missing all four limbs. You've got kids who are in wheelchairs with huge smiles on their faces. And that's what hit Lauren. She's like, why are these kids so happy? They don't seem bummed about anything. Mm. And I think it changed everything for Lauren. Then we got her a hand cycle, got her a racing chair. And within a year of being paralyzed, she took a bronze at the Commonwealth Games. The key is you avoid that spiraling depression by mm. finding a positive, finding, finding a sport, yeah. finding a purpose. And for Lauren, mm. it was, I'm a triathlete, I'm still a triathlete. And watching her finish in St. George, both the 70.3 and the full, that was pretty damn special. That's awesome. But Bob, if people want to get involved with CAF, whether yeah. whether it's funding or any Volunteering, other involvement, what, 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 what's the best way to, to reach out? And, Challengeathletes.org. It's, yeah. it's the easiest thing you can see and you can check out any of the, the video pieces on YouTube. Uh, we've, you know, we've, we've starting with Lisa Lax and Nancy Stern doing yeah. video pieces back for us in the, you know, not long after Jimmy was hurt. We've, we've, we do a really nice job of storytelling. There's awesome. some really cool pieces. So challengedathlete.org. That's it. Um, people go check it out. Make sure you, you, you go support and get involved. But, uh, those stories, and I know we could go like hours and hours with your stories. I, I really do. But I just want to be, you know, I know you're racing on the weekends. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's no such thing as racing. I call it a catered workout. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's like a, you ride along, someone hands you something. And then if you're in a beer <laughs> a garden by 9.30 in the morning, that's a good day. That's a good day. All right, before I let you go, I want to I throw some, uh, it's a new sort of thing I'm doing on yeah. the show. It's called Opinions. Okay, sure. And hypotheticals, I guess. Hypotheticals, okay. All right, and it's a bit of fun. All right. Greatest triathlete of all time, male and female. Oh my God! Well, there's no right I, answer. I we know, can have I a know. bit of fun. I, I'm going to say from a female, it's McKeeley Jones, just yep. because the variety, the Ironman, the shorter distance, and the fact that she's—I like the fact that she's still killing it. And at, she just loves age. the sport for the loves longest it. time. And even even her career it was decades. It right? went, well, mean, and, it was, and also she was there at our first San Diego Triathlon Challenge in 1994 for yeah. CAF, and she has been exposed to all our athletes, and that led to her. Uh, guiding Katie Kelly to a gold medal in the Paralympics. Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, that to me is is really really special. And yeah. you know, obviously, I'm biased. She's. she's uh, I don't think there's a lot of bias there, mate. I've had uh, you know Craig Alexander and I. Yeah. You know, there's a few of That's us right. that, yeah. that we go. Yeah. It, I mean, I, these days you start to throw in a few different. You know, potentially Danielle yeah. and potentially Flora Duffy, and if right. you're more recent, they they, yeah. they are remarkable women, and it's fun to watch. But um, you know, McKeeley, it's hard it's hard to go past MJ. That's for sure. And and from a guy, I you know what's funny. 
uh, when I was watching the um, you know sub seven, sub eight. And I think that stuff is great. But if you look at what Mark Allen did and Dave Scott did in 89, and I know I'm the get off your grass guy, um, I still think you look at that and the bike, you talk about riding in a pace line, the whole bit, you're taking an hour off the time. But if Mark Allen and Dave are swimming 50 minutes and they're running 238, 239, that's not much different than what those guys are doing, what, 30 years later? Yeah. But it's also, so with that 89, and I'm happy to talk about it all day, every day, because for me, it's like, there's certain moments that transcend what the sport was about, yep. right? And I don't even look like to put in Mark and Dave to somewhat as the greatest of all time because they're almost more like the godfathers of the sport. Do you right. know what I mean? Like yep. they almost, we should remove them and say, look, they're yeah. up here right. <laughs> and they're above the greatest of athletes ah. of all time because we don't have, they're beyond that because we don't have a sport without them in that context. Right. I mean, we, we still probably do to some degree, but their impact right. and the races that they had and the story that mm-hmm. goes with it and that 89 moment, it really, it, it did. It, it transcended the sport beyond just time, beyond a, a race time. You know, what I was going to say too, when you talk about Dave, you think about the first time he comes over, course records are 11, 15, goes oh, 9, 23. Two hours, And, and yeah. he took everything in terms of the first guy to run sub three hours in, mm-hmm. in Kona, sub 250. Yeah, right, yeah. the first person to go under well, to to go under nine and a half, to go under nine, yeah, to go under yeah. eight thirty. You need that person who's not racing tactically, who's just going for Pushing it. it. Plus, yeah, yeah. people thought of Dave as okay, he's a great swimmer and he's a great cyclist, and oh, he's 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 vulnerable in the run. Then he became the best runner. He's a gritty runner. Boy. It, uh, yeah. I mean, when you watch his, you can throw the form. Forget <laughs> it. The guy, like you said earlier, he's got the duck feet and he, he made it happen. And there's a resiliency there and a pure grit that was just unbelievable with the way he could race. When you, you know? saw him come back in 94, and it's funny yeah. because I, I have a poster that we did called the Equalizer from the 1990 race. And it's Tinley. I'm sorry, it's Mark Allen, it's Rob Mackle and Wolfgang Dietrich, mm-hmm. and you see the ribbon of Queen Highway behind them and the helicopter and the whole bit. It's very cool. And, you know, Dave didn't race 90, 91, 92, yeah. 93. You know, like four years, he's out of the sport. And so we, I had that poster. Comes back at 42, was he 44 or 42? He came back at 40. 40, 40 First time, yeah. and then he came back again at 42, you're right. Yeah, yeah. So he signed the poster like in front of those guys. This is Dave. He's going to sign it in, in front of where the other guys are, in front of Mark Allen, those guys. But when he, when he came back, and I remember when he rolled his bike in, he's got a 26-inch carbon frame. He still had his shifters down on the down tube, and everybody's like, oh, my God, what a dinosaur. Yeah. Next thing you know, he's leading the race, yeah. and he's 11, 12 seconds down on Welchie going to the energy lab. Yeah. And then the following, when he, in 96, he did a different, and actually I did his sponsorship stuff for 94 when he came back. But when he came back in 96, I don't, they, he had a different bike and he was set up wrong on it. And, you know, Dave's not the best mechanically in the world. Yeah. And he had a really crappy bike ride. He's like 25th, 26th off the bike. And yeah. it's like the old man, he ran his way into fifth, ran 245. I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, so it's just that type of stuff, just changing the perception. And I think Mark would tell you, in terms of pushing the, the limits of the sport, it was Dave. Oh, it was Dave. It, it was, was Dave. Dave. Uh, yeah. and, and there's a huge camaraderie and respect between the two of each yes. other now. You know, and they, still, they still have their little bit of a chip. And I love that because it's so deep. It's, it's so a, deep. There's still this little rivalry, especially more from Dave. I oh, think, totally. Know. Mark's and, over it. But it's funny. I remember one time I was at the grocery store on, uh, on Pay and Save Hill, and I could see it happening. Mark was coming around with a car 
cart and Dave was there. He like collided with the cart. And I'm like, <laughs> why did I get that on camera? That's like the coolest That's thing. Exactly These guys are still bashing into each other. Yeah. Okay, ne- next opinion. Yeah. Um, this year, 2022, we're back at Kona. Yes. Touch wood, please. Yes, I know. <laughs> um, okay, men, women, favorites. Who are you going to pick? Well, you know what? I, I love uh, I love Daniela Reef. I just think that I, a lot of people were counting her out, and I think she was. You know, it's funny because I, when I was interviewing her, I was like, you know, Daniela is adding up all this stuff, and it's like I think you've raced forty times since whatever year it was, two thousand twelve, ten thirteen. And you've won 35. Yeah, I mean, it was like... It's insane. It's insane, it's right? Insane. And it was... I think she had a hard time getting motivated during the whole COVID time. And yeah. who doesn't? Yeah. I think that, you know, all the workouts that you're seeing online right now, I think that she is ready. And you know, why can't she go get And nine? there was an adjustment period after leaving, you know, Brett Sutton was yep. a coach. And then she said, okay, I'm going to go out on my own. Exactly. And, and, and there's that adjustment of having to learn how to do it yourself yes. as well. And I think she's, that race she performed in Utah was, was extraordinary. Extraordinary. Um, she was good. So I would pick Daniela. Yeah. And on the, on the men's side, my obviously main concern, is Jan and the Achilles. You know, mm-hmm. you know, as mm-hmm. you get older, it coming back from that stuff is it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard. If, if Jan's at the top of his game, having him and Gustav and Christian coming down Elite Drive together would be pretty damn, pretty damn sweet. I, know, I, would, right? I would love to. The other, I mean, you can't ever look past uh, Daniel Bakagar, Marka. Oh, uh, oh, know, the, oh you know. there's a list. There's a, there's, there's a list. We're Marcus, not leaving names yeah. out without D-Lift. respect. We, no, no. The thing yeah. is, there are legitimately 20 guys who think they're going to be I think it's going to first, be, second, third. I think it's right. going to, you know, I just had Magnus Ditlow yeah, on, on the show. Yeah, you know, I he, love he, He's winning in Roth. And I tell you what, he's um, 24, 24-year-old. 24 You're the, seeing so many of the, the intensity of him, though. These, these guys are, are doing it with intention. Right. They're not turning up and going, oh, I'll go for a bike ride with my mates. No, 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 On no, a long no. ride. And, but, no. No. They have physiologists. They have psychologists. They have exacting training. They're coming with intent, and uh, it's a next level game that's coming along. And the, you know the Norwegians, as you right. mentioned, with, they're leading the way with all of that. But you know, and and, and Jan kind of took it a, a whole step, and, and it's kind of like it just keeps evolving. It's right. amazing. Well, and the, what I love about guys getting in, my one concern is guys getting in doing full Ironman so young, and because yeah, yeah. we've seen the yeah, hard issues yeah, and yeah, all the rest yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. But if guys can pick and choose and stay away from too many Ironmans, I think it's good. Magnus, what I would impress me when we were in Miami and we were in Daytona, he was never afraid of the moment. Mm. There's, we both know a lot of guys who, and women who will come off the bike in 15th and run their way to eighth. Mm. And they do it year after year after year. And you're always thinking next year will be their year, but they, they don't, grasp the ring. Yeah, they yeah. don't, when they have that opportunity to go for it on the bike, they don't do it. Alistair and I chatted about it once. It's like, Alistair, guys who are riding with you, who know that you're going to kick their ass in the run, why are they not riding in front of trying to get away? He goes, it baffles me. I had no idea. Well, in yeah. fairness to that, I have a side story. With yeah. that. We're talking about Alistair Brownlee here, yeah. the, the, the greatest Olympic triathlete of all time with two yes. gold medals. I remember I thought in 2011, I thought, you know what, maybe I'll give the Olympics another go. Right. So I went to uh, Madrid and then I did Kitzbühel. Madrid, I was terrible. I was really jet lagged and screwed up. But anyway, went to Kitzbühel and I'm coming off sort of winning all the non-drafting races in the US. So I'm pumping my chest as this Uber. I know how to ride a bike. Yes, yes. I mean, I'm 39, so I'm probably getting a bit old. But I remember getting into this race in Kitzbühel. Had a good swim, was out in the top sort of 10 to 15 and jumped on the bike and it's draft legal and we're... And uh, I'm just punching the bike as hard as I could. And Alistair kept punching around me, you know, like this. I'm like, what? This is a kid. Like, how come I can't get in front of this guy? Yeah. You know, and, 
and uh, he, he was relentless and he was abusing everybody and I was yelling at people yeah, right? and I'm like oh mate settle down you know shut up you know and I was abusing him back kind of feeling yeah. like I'm the old guy right and anyway on the final lap he managed to get away with five guys not only then he, did he get away, he then outran, had the fastest run by a minute. Right. So when I hear Alistair say, yeah, why aren't these guys taking turns with me? He's just better. <laughs> like, it's like, it's like we're, they trying, might be trying. We're, we're trying here. And I remember coming back to the hotel room after that race in Kidsborough and I said to Laura, never in a moment in my career did I ever feel that I couldn't beat somebody. You know, whether right. it be whoever yeah, I was racing. Mac or whoever it, it, yeah, it didn't yeah. matter. I mean, it didn't mean I got to beat them every right, time. Right, but, but you I, felt I, on that, the right day you could They were beatable. Hamish yeah, Carter, Simon Whitfield, Marco, right, Craig Alexander, my group of guys. Right, it was like, right, right. And I came back to the and go, Javier Gomez and then Alistair Bradley. I'm like, I can't beat them. Not at wow. this game. I said, right. maybe in the non-drafting. They, they, yeah, they maybe in the longer, non-drafting. Yeah. Well, just the Olympic distance non-drafting was my thing. Maybe at that I think I've got a shot. But I, it was the first time I said it out loud too. Yeah. That like, I can't beat two people. And it was like, that's, Whoa. And yeah. so then I went back to the US and kept doing my non-drafting. Exactly. Uh, you yeah, know, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, but I just on that Alistair Brownlee, he was, he's just. Yeah. So, but so I mean, you've seen in others, others as well where they know. Molino used to talk about it because yeah. the guys who he knew he could run better than, yeah. they would be intimidated to go by. He's a Terminator. Yeah, They're yeah. not going to go buy him on a bike. Yeah. And he's like, they know they can't outrun they me, so them. I'm happy to sit with those guys. You play the game. You just play the game. I, I, yeah. I sit right here. You know? Well, mate, this has been absolutely fantastic. What do you got on for the rest of the year? What do you got coming up? We've got, uh, I'll go to, obviously, Kona. We're going to start early this year because of the women's race being on Thursday. That's so right, we'll yeah. start like the Wednesday before. We'll yeah. start 28th, 29th, 30th, yeah. and then... Uh, then the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and um, how many people do you interview? Uh, you know, well, we just did breakfast we, with Bob Kona editions, just the ultimate uh, for did, people that can't make yeah, it. Tune in. <laughs> fifth, I think we did fifty-eight uh, last time, and this we just did forty-four at Edmonton, and that was really fun. Wow. That was a, yeah. my favorite was the Holly Lawrence. Yeah. I was like, she says, you know, Iron Kona is just such a bucket list, and I you know need to do that sometime. But you know, then you gotta gotta qualify, and you gotta you know say so you, then you dedicated your whole season to try to get yeah. to Kona and I said so I'm giving you a wild car right now to go do Kona she goes yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, she, she, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll take that yeah. yeah so I mean that's a deal is that she she's great I yeah, just yeah. love the attitude she brings We've, this is a great era for uh, our, our athletes are all so special it's the so athletes, professional the events yes. the opportunity to make a decent living from yep. the sport you yep. know there's uh, the professionalism uh, I, you know and what the PTO are trying to do phenomenal and, you know yeah. there, there's just so many it's a great time to be an athlete it really is and, the, uh, and, and, the, and our, as Charles has said our athletes deserve all of it all you guys who you know you're up at four in the morning you're working all day yeah. it's it's a tough way to make a living because you're not a basketball player you're not yeah, a baseball yeah, player yeah. you don't have that big off season yeah. and what pto is doing when you went to edmonton and it went you got five grand for finishing 20th yeah five grand and two grand for 20th to 40th yeah so you're basically covered you're safe you're safe, you're safe yeah. right? and you know the, yeah. the years you'd come to, to, to the states yeah you're like okay uh if i don't get first second or third i lose money here yeah yeah right there's something wrong with that yeah you start to get this point where you can have a lot more depth so totally. now you're not just looking at one to three guys you, you potentially can you know make a reasonable income even if you're a tenth or, or and and so now you're getting this stronger depth of of, of right. races which 
which looks better for TV. And then it also affects it. It does filter down to the the amateurs and the age totally. group events because now we're getting more money into the sport. And we yep. can, you know, rising better tide or both. So yeah, no, it's a, it's a really great time to be a part of it. Are you heading over to um, Samarin? I'm, I'm, I'm not going with, this year. Yeah, either. I'm not yeah. going to Samarin. There's just too much going on. Yeah, I think we'll yeah. be our whole baseball tour with our. Yeah, guy so Liv. Quick, quickly, yeah, let's yeah. finish up with that. Okay. Uh, just to, I know, I know, I've kept you a bit, but I, I just want to hear about that baseball. L- so, so what's going on? Landis is so a buddy of mine named Eric Cocker, an amazing filmmaker. He shot for National Geographic, shoot Shark Week, Discovery Channel, all that stuff. Called me like eight years ago. And he goes, hey, I'm at a veteran softball game in Orange County, and there's a kid here who's missing both hands and both legs, and he's batting his cross-wristed, and he's hitting the crap ball all over the place. Not only that, he's talking smack to the veterans. The kid's seven years old, and the guy's you know, pitching to him. He's like, dude, you're missing a leg, not an arm. Get the ball over the plate. What's wrong with you? And he's going, I don't know where it's going, but I'm just going to keep shooting this kid. And so he's been shooting him from the age of seven to the age of 16, and this movie became Landis Just Watch Me, which is now on uh, Apple TV. Huh? It's on Google Play. It's on Amazon Prime. And we've been, he sort out the first pitch just this month at Yankee Stadium, Padres Stadium, uh, Houston Astros, San Francisco Giants. And tomorrow was Philadelphia. And uh, yeah, it just keeps going on and on. Good Morning America. He was on ESPN Top 10 the other day. Wow. Threw out the first pitch in San Francisco. And. When we were in Yankee Stadium and he's doing, they, they set up for him to do batting practice and he's sitting the ball out towards the warning track, right? No hands, no legs. And all the Yankees just were all, they couldn't believe it. And then all the media, it looked like a Michael Jordan media scrum with 30 cameras around him and he's 16 years old. And, you know, I would have been peeing myself and he's sort of like, where you guys been? Uh, I've been doing this since I was, you know, two years old. I, uh, I'm a baseball player. This is what I do. Yeah. Just, just watch me. He's amazing, and the, uh, the story is amazing, and yeah, it, well, we'll go check people can out watch it Landismovie.com. Landismovie.com. Yeah, yeah. All right, Bob. Well, mate, this has been absolutely a pleasure. It really has been fun. Thanks Thank for, you so much. Thanks, for thanks man. Thanks for taking time on your vacation, man. Are you kidding me? No way. This is a real highlight. It's like I've spoken to you for several, well, probably six months or so to say, hey, I need you to get you on your show to be able to do it in person. That's the best. I just love this, to be able to yeah. chat in person and, and have this conversation. And so I really appreciate it, mate. No and those problem. stories are just epic. They really are. It's, it's, this was one of my favorite episodes. I'm <laughs> going to put it out there. This was a lot of fun, mate. Yes. Really cool. Hopefully I didn't go on for too long, man. I no, could, I that's, tell that's on me time. because I'm just like another one, another one. So I appreciate you, you, you know, you, you sitting with me this time and for everybody listening um, you can find all the show notes and timestamps and everything on bennettendurance.com forward slash media Bob mate this was fantastic cheers buddy have fun Greggy thank you thanks a lot for listening if you enjoyed the show your support would truly be appreciated you can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.